On today's Believe in Chicago Sports podcast, we continue our Bulls talk and welcome in NBC Sports Chicago's KC Johnson, talking all things Bulls draft and free agency trade news. We're then going to shift gears and reminisce on the legacy of Theo Epstein as his departure with the Cubs is now official. We're going to talk about what he meant to the team, the organization, the city, and what they do going forward. A lot of big decisions on the way for the Cubs. All that and more in episode 22, coming up now. Welcome in to the Believe in Chicago Sports Podcast, your home for your favorite Chicago sports talk. I'm Joey Gellman, and I'm on Twitter at Joey Gellman. He is Dan Collins. He's on Twitter at TweetDanCollins. The show, Believe in Chicago Sports, is on Twitter too, at Believe in Chicago, part of the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. We have the luxury now of bringing in Casey Johnson, Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago. You could find him on Twitter at KCJHoop. Casey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, and I guess we'll just get right to it. No need to bury the lead here. Bulls go on ahead and select Patrick Williams with the fourth overall pick in the NBA draft. Your, your just initial thoughts on that. Uh, it's early. I mean, I mean, the kid's 19, uh, hasn't played a lick of, uh, NBA basketball, hasn't played much college basketball. Um, obviously, um, Bulls are very excited about their pick, uh, because they feel that they, uh, have found somebody that kind of fits with their philosophy of, uh, stacking the roster with athleticism and physicality and two-way ability and potential. I mean, they've, uh, the new management regime has hammered, the theme of player development since their hires. Um, and obviously when you get a 19 year old kid entering that program, it's, he's going to need to be developed, but, um, you know, definitely an NBA ready body and where he takes it from here is up to him and, and the Bulls staff. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the development piece of it, because I think that's the biggest thing for me. I think a lot of Bulls fans were not necessarily surprised because they thought it was the wrong pick. They just don't know much about him. And and, and the Bulls have really owned on the fact that, you know, even if people may think he's a little raw, it's our development that's going to make this player in into who he's going to be. So how much are they really betting on themselves and their new philosophy and how they evaluate and develop talent with a guy like Patrick Williams that has a huge upside, but we just don't know that much about him right now as a, as a current player. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to just, you know, look at Arturis car to show this is past. I mean, I know he's never been in the, the lead uh, decision-making mode, but by pretty much all accounts, you know, Denver hit on some uh, pretty big, uh, hits in the draft and in his time there, obviously working with Tim Conley and that staff uh, out in Denver. Um, you know, they definitely had some draft misses as well. Uh, but for the most part, they, they develop their, their own. And, you know, Nicole Jokic would be the extreme example of that. I mean, obviously anytime you hit on a second round pick and now he's a perennial all NBA guy and, you know, garnering MVP uh, votes on the ballot, uh, you're doing something right. Uh, and, and it's not just all the staff. I mean, the player obviously deserves a lot of the credit too, but um, you, you just get the sense that Arturis has done this before. I mean, he, he's, he's an adult in the room. I mean, he, he's never maybe been in the lead decision-making uh, chair, but uh, certainly has been through this process many times, knows what he likes in players and, and uh, knows what he likes in terms of style of play and feels that Patrick will fit into that. Um, as he puts the work in and, and the, the player development staff and the coaching staff do their jobs. So, um, you know, you just, 
at this point, you know, our tourists, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I think people are a little hung up on, you know, Patrick Williams not starting at Florida State, but, um, you know, even people I talk to outside the Bulls organization around the league, you know, point to this guy as, as a chance to, have, to be a real special player if, if he develops the way some people think he might. Mm-hmm. So development and patience being the key things there, Casey, with with Patrick Williams. And I think it just couples, uh, you know, perfectly with what it looks like AK and Everly's vision is going to be with this team. And it's committing to the long haul approach in terms of piecing this team together. And I'm just wondering on your thoughts on how important it is to see this front office regime commit to that type of long haul approach. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're used to 17 years of the same management regime, right? And, and by the way, I mean, I, I you know, I sometimes get um, get a, a label as someone who defends the John Paxson, Gar Foreman era a little bit, but that's because I was there when they when they first took over for Jerry Krause. And obviously Jerry Krause is in the Hall of Fame for a reason, but his rebuild effort coming out of the dynasty didn't work. And then, you know, John Paxson took over and, you know, restored that franchise. I mean, they weren't a championship level team, but those, you know, teams built around the draft, Kirk Heinrich, Ben Gordon, Luol Dang, Andres Nocioni, coached by Scott Skiles were really fun, hard playing teams that, you know, had some playoff um, capabilities. So, um, you know, I, I don't think you'll ever uh, say that those guys didn't draft well. Um, so uh, we were used to that regime and now we've got a new regime. So we're, we're getting, we're getting used to their philosophy taking over. And yes, you're right. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be uh, a foundational thing. I mean, Artur is kind of show us and Mark Eversley are not wedded to anybody on this roster. So they come in with a, their own vision, their own uh, philosophy on what, how they want to shape this roster. And I expect there to be significant um, overhaul over the next couple of years. You know, uh, they're going to obviously identify the pieces they want to keep. If they do decide they want to, um, move on from some people. You've obviously all then got to find a trade partner to do that. Uh, but this was their first personnel move. So obviously it's going to be scrutinized and analyzed. And yeah, I think it kind of ties in with their, you know, foundational approach. We're going to build this the right way in the image and the philosophy that we want to play and that we want to shape this roster. And it's, you know, for both fans, it's different because, you know, John and Gar had 17 years to do it their way. And now, we're getting used to a, a new regime. Yeah, and I know it's probably been hard to to get a sense of everything, you know, with all of us, you know, doing everything over Zoom and Skype. But have have you seen, you know, since you've been covering this team since those those Gar Packs early days, has has there have you felt a cultural shift within the organization now? Now seeing what they're doing now, whether it's simply basketball philosophy or how they're treating the players, or or, or just an overall approach to basketball that either simply didn't exist before or has just developed into what the modern NBA is asking of a lot of these people in management and even, even player positions. Yeah, I think, I think you hit on a good phrase there. It's modern NBA. Right. And, and uh, you know, I think it's pretty well documented. I reported this, um, you know, even before Michael Reinsdorf, the, uh, the COO and, and team president said it at the Arturis introductory news conference is that, you know, John basically came to, to ownership, John Paxson came to ownership and said, you just said, you know, look, yeah, we, we, we need to, I, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I'm just not, you know, I did it for 17 years and we're, it's kind of an outdated mode. I mean, they're not, they're not a real progressive uh, organization anymore. I mean, again, I, I'll, I'll defend a lot of John Paxson's moves, you know, probably more than the next guy, because I was there to see 
the overhaul, and you know, obviously, then they had a lot of success under the, the Derrick Rose era under Tom Tom Thibodeau. Um, so, um, but you know, John John will be the first to tell you that you know he just he he's not a real he was not a big out going out and you know develop relationships guy guy and um, you know players respect him obviously from his playing career and the way that he treated people, but uh, you know today's modern NBA is really about player empowerment, right? And and that's the NBA that our tourists. And Mark, no. I mean, Mark came up obviously from the grassroots on the on the shoe circuit with working for Nike, and then obviously has now worked for um, four franchises. And they they've seen how the modern NBA works. So it you know it doesn't feel that different. Uh, yeah, I guess it does feel a little bit different to me, just because obviously I've been covering the one regime for so long. I don't have a real sense of how it trickles down to the players because we haven't been around the players much. I mean, I've talked to some of them you know via Zoom, and then obviously I've talked to from their agents and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a new approach and everyone's going to get used to it, but the, the overriding theme is that, you know, Mark and, uh, and our tourists just have been around how the transformation has gone to kind of the age of player empowerment. And it's all about relationship building and putting players first. And that's not to say that John and Gar didn't do that. I mean, he stepped inside that, uh, advocate center, that, practice facility i mean it's all about players it's like ridiculous it's like a taj mahal it's it's unbelievable they don't have to ever leave they've got chefs and eating areas and film rooms and you know hot tubs hot tubs cold tubs weight room i mean it's amazing so it's not like it's not like the bulls were you know in this dark dungeon before but it's just it, it is a little bit different in the sense that um our tourists and mark are a little bit more you know hip to the relationship aspect of of the nba and Casey, I'm wondering what that, you know, Joey's talking about the culture here and how things are going to be in the locker room. I just wonder, and obviously if, you know, no players are dealt or there's no changes, you know, before the, the opening season tip off, I'm just wondering now with new eyes on this team, whether it be in the front office or, or the, or the coach, what is the feeling that you, you think is going to be like in that locker room? Is it going to be this refreshed feeling of, all right, this is something new. This is something fresh. This is something promising. Or, I mean, because it seems like everybody on this roster, for the most part, is untouchable. Is it going to come off as a, a, still a little bit of stress, almost coming off as every time you're out there on the floor, you're almost auditioning to remain with this team? Yeah, that's a good question, and I don't have a great sense of that just because I haven't been around the team more. I mean, you learn so much around, you know, that's what's so great about being a beat writer is you're kind of embedded with the team. You're in the locker room. You had shoot-arounds. You see little nuanced things, and in the uh, era we're living in, obviously, with the pandemic and you know, having that that uh, separator of Zoom between us, it's not the same. I mean, you, you can talk, still talk to people on the phone and maybe get some background stuff, but it's not the same as being there and being in the gym every day. So I, I, I can't speak to a sense of tension or what, what have you in terms of the players feeling. I do agree. I mean, I said it before earlier in this interview, you know, these guys are not what anybody on this roster. I mean, this is they're going to come in and shape this roster how they want to see it. Now, that said, it's not like the Bulls are rosters full of a bunch of stiffs. I mean, there are some obviously capable NBA players and certainly some, you know, to me, from, from my perspective, and I'm not a GM, but, you know, seem like some decent foundational pieces as well here. So I don't think, like, they're going to flip over the entire roster. But, yeah, I mean, there's certainly an element of, um, you know, playing for to prove themselves. But also, in this age of player empowerment, you've seen, you know um, – uh, Mark and Arturo cited. I mean, there's there's also a feeling of connectivity. So I mean, I think right now there's just good vibes right now, 
And then the other aspect I would say that we haven't really even got into yet is you, you can't anal- talk about any of these changes without getting into the coaching change. I mean, you know, uh, j- moving from Jim Boylan to Billy Donovan would be another example of kind of getting to more of the modern NBA. Um, you know, Jim was obviously pretty proudly old school. That said, and he worked very hard at player relationships. I mean, he, he flew to Finland to spend time with Lowry Markkinen, visited Zach Levine in the offseason. But, you know, he, he would be the first to tell you he was a little bit more old school, kind of disciplinarian. Um, and, and Billy's just not like that. I mean, I don't know Billy very well. I know him a little bit. Um, but, you know, obviously his reputation around the league, particularly coming from college, is just, you know, always kind of building to the player's strengths because in college your roster's always flipping over. And in his five years in OKC, the roster flipped over a lot. So all these changes kind of work together in unison. And it, there definitely is a feeling of excitement um, and optimism around the team. I mean, I'm, I've been talking to people and around a little uh, enough Zooms to, to feel that or sense that. But, you know, everybody's excited this time of year until you start playing the games and then, then you got to go out and do it on the court. And you mentioned, you know, for the players and for Billy Donovan, there's kind of that renewed sense now of the players can actually play to their strengths. And I wonder, you know, when, when we saw under Jim Boylan where Kobe White or Zach Levine or, or Larry Marketing were, were discouraged from doing what they're doing best, whether it was a, a pull-up jumper or a turnaround fadeaway shot that it was a two-point shot that wasn't allowed, you know, you got to do it the way, the, you know, the Boylan way. Is it going to be hard for some of these guys to kind of unlearn those bad habits? Or is this finally that weight is lifted off of us and we can play the game we know that will make us, you know, the the NBA, whether it's all-star, superstar, whatever, we thought we could be when we were drafted by the Bulls? I think it's more the latter. But I also think, you know, it's, it's easy for all, all of us, and I do it too, but to, to paint with broad brushes. I mean, you know, obviously Jim's overall body of work is probably going to be not probably is definitely going to be looked upon as a failure, but you know, Zach Levine grew as a player under uh, Jim Boylan. And you can say that's all Zach Levine. And you know, for a large part, a lot of it is, but Jim Boylan challenged him to become a better decision maker and a better two way player. I think everyone would agree that he grew in those two areas. So again, it's a player's league. All credit goes to the players, but it's not like, you know, Jim was like horrendously awful in terms of player development. Um, another example, obviously, Larry Markin had had a huge regression last year, and I think that was uh, a largely a byproduct of the tweaked offensive system. But then you just go back to, obviously, uh, the season earlier, and I know this has now become almost like uh, a punchline because we've cited so often. But, I mean, Larry Markin had had an incredibly dominant month under Jim Boylan, you know, where he's averaging 25 and 12, and they go 7 and 7. So it's easy to paint in broad brushes. Um, you know, I do think last season, uh, I think you, you hit on a, a pertinent point. I mean, you know, the, the offensive system, I think, ended up stifling people too much. Um, and obviously, they were very poor offensive basketball team last year. And then defensively, you can call it gimmick or not. You know, that, that team guarded and they played hard and they created a lot of turnovers and, create, and had a lot of steals. Um, you could maybe say that it was an example of Jim coaching to his personnel. Um, but, you know, as far as moving forward, you know, Billy's a proven coach. Arturis in a number two role is a proven executive. Um, I, I, I personally think if they stay healthy, you know, they'll be improvement from within. And I know that's how Arturis and Mark are viewing it as well. 
Talking with Casey Johnson, Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago. A few more before I let you go, Casey. And you mentioned it with this being the first draft pick by this front office. There's going to be plenty of scrutiny on it. You know, for all those Bulls fans out there who are still not too optimistic about this pick, whether it be because he didn't start at FSU or whatever their logic may be, what is like the biggest sales pitch in terms for you to say, hey, these are the main reasons to still be optimistic about this draft choice? Well, with, with, without uh, without being disrespectful of the question, first of all, it's not my job. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just a B writer. I, it's not my job to, to defend or sell a Bulls decision. But what I would also say is, and I'm not trying to, dis, to evade the question, but like, I have no idea. You know, I, I've never seen this dude play live. You know, I mean, I'm just going off what people tell me. That's my job is to report. I mean, I've watched highlights of him and I've talked to. You know, even since the pick, I've talked to his college coach, Leonard Hamilton, and today I talked to his high school coach, Jacoby Davis. So, you know, I've talked to scouts that I trust around the league outside of the Bulls to try to get, you know, a more objective opinion than obviously what how our tourists is going to feel about him. Um, but we're all just guessing. I mean, the kid's 19 years old. Um, I would just say what I said at the start. He's got an NBA-ready body. And to me, if you're working from a base of physical – uh, being undaunted by things and playing physically and defensive versatility, which he clearly has, um, you know, you just watch any kind of film, you, you see him, he, he can switch on to point guards and he can guard guys in the post. I mean, you can say that's at college, but that, that, that stuff is going to translate to the NBA. I'm not saying he's going to lock down LeBron, but, you know, defensive versatility, ability to move his feet, ability to play physically, that stuff's going to translate. So, um, that's what I would point to, you know, offensively, I don't know much about him other than what I've watched of high, in terms of highlights and what people have told me, um, you know, obviously he's got to become more adept at the three point shot. Um, but he just, he, he looks like a guy who just he gets it. I mean, and that's actually a phrase. It's funny. I, I just said that unknowingly, but that's exactly a phrase that our tourists used last night. And I, I didn't start that sentence thinking I'd go there, but if you just, you know, I've been watching basketball for a long time. I'm sure you guys have too. You you can just kind of watch film and say, okay, that guy knows how to play. And when I the highlights I've watched now, you know, leading up to the draft and since the draft, to me he just looks like a guy who knows how to play basketball. He 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 looks like a guy who understands role acceptance. He looks like a guy who looks like he contributes to winning basketball. Kind of does what the team needs or the game needs, and he's got the body. So I'm I'm not saying he's going to be you know, a a huge contributor his first year, or he's even going to be a star. But I think, I think to me, he he looks like he's going to be pretty solid just from, from the base that I'm kind of describing right now. Yeah, that's very encouraging and very fun for Bulls fans to, you know, dream about that there there's a Bulls player that, you know, fits that mold of what they're they're really trying to build here. As we look ahead, I know it's a chaotic, busy NBA offseason, especially with, you know, free agency and trades and everything just around the corner for a lot of these teams. I know the Bulls are, are, are strapped kind of, whether it's salary cap and, and redundancies sometimes on the roster as we sit here as they still try to carve out who's staying, who's going. What are you expecting the Bulls to do as, you know, free agency and, and a more robust trade market kind of kicks off? Because there isn't really much much wriggle room for them, but they're going to do something, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, again, I mean, I'm not trying to give, like, bad answers or radio here, but I, I don't know. I don't know these guys. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I can do the math and see that they have one guaranteed roster spot left. Um, and, you know, we asked our tourists about free agency plans, obviously last night after the draft and he, you know, everyone's kind of assuming point guard, which was actually how the question was 
uh, phrase to him. And he, it, it was interesting. Obviously he's not going to tell us specifically who he's targeting, but he took it, he took it right away to the, to the subject of shooting. And you know, that, that, that actually makes sense. If you also look at kind of their decisions that drove their qualifying offer decisions. I mean, they kept the shooter Denzel Valentine over Chris Dunn. Right. So, um, it just, again, kind of dovetails into the philosophy he's talked about. Read and react offense, two-way players, good passing team, good shooting team. So, you know, I, I think you probably would be who be smart to maybe address another primary ball handler. All the better if you can get maybe a primary ball handler and a shooter. Um, but, yeah, they don't have any cap room, so they're going to be using the exception if they just go the free agency route. You, you mentioned the trade market. There's certainly that opportunity, too. So, um, yeah, I can't predict if he's got a bold move up his sleeve or not between now and December 22nd. Um, what I do know is that, uh, you know, he just talked about adding shooting, and they've got, as of right now, one roster spot left and, and two salary cap exceptions with which to address that roster spot if they choose. Casey, great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Right, had fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. Going to be interesting to see how that new front office over there on the west side of Chicago deals with that situation, how they grow and develop the Chicago Bulls, the current state of the Bulls, that is, how they grow it into hopefully a playoff contender, a serious playoff contender sometime soon. But now switching over from a new front office to a little bit more of a, of a of a somber note. Is it, Joey, a little sad to see Theo Epstein leave on the north side? A, an ending, you will say, to the president of baseball operations there over for the Chicago Cubs, Theo Epstein. Obviously, definitely worth breaking down as you're talking about a future Hall of Fame executive made history and made his name in this sport with the Boston Red Sox, bringing them a World Series title after decades and decades of losing and not bringing in that hardware Then he goes over to the north side of Chicago, does it again. Another decade's worth of droughts, 108-year drought, over a century mark for the Chicago Cubs. Then finally in 2016, Game 7 in November. They play that World Series since November. Crazy to think about. Crazy rainy night in Cleveland where the Chicago Cubs found themselves victorious and bringing in a World Series title, something that I'm sure Joey remembers ever so fondly. And now, interesting to think... Not what's necessarily next for Theo, even though it's definitely interesting to think about. And I want um, – there's been a lot of people who want him to be the next uh, commissioner of baseball. We could always get into that, Joey. Um, but also what's next for this team and what does it mean? And like you even just said in the teaser, just something worth looking back on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and, and we talked about it. If you guys haven't heard uh, Believe in Betting Chicago, Joey Christopoulos, Dan and I were on there and we discussed this topic as well. So go check that out. Give them a follow too. But yeah, it's it's a interesting, weird, bittersweet kind of place because you knew this wasn't going to last forever, and Theo made that clear that around you know ten years or so into a job, he's kind of hit his his peak and his limit, and he accomplished, I think, what every Cubs fan could have asked for. He took this organization from the depths of hell, both from a baseball futility perspective, an organizational perspective, an office perspective, a, a philosophy, everything, and built them up into a World Series champion for the first time in, you know, over a century. And that's the big story. I mean, I mean, that's that's what he came here to do. He kept his promise, and he did it. 
Now, I think some fans could be, you know, frustrated, and I'm probably one of them a little bit, that you didn't get more, and I could be greedy now, but uh, you were supposed to be more of a a dynasty, more of a kind of a Blackhawks run where you get three or four bites at the apple. They were lucky enough to win all three. The Cubs, who knows what they would have done, but I think that's where some fans are kind of soured, especially, you know, because the Red Sox were able to win uh, a couple in the Theo window and beyond. And so I think that's where your, your your head's kind of at, but I think you can't have anything but thankfulness and gratefulness for what he did for this city because it turned the Cubs into what everyone wanted them to be for, you know, over a century, and that was be a competitive team, make the playoffs X amount of years in a row, and, and win that coveted, coveted World Series. So... It's going to be interesting to see what, what happens next for Theo and for the Cubs. I know we'll get into that, but you know, all you can be is grateful and thankful for a guy like that. A, a little crazy to think that, wow, it sucks he didn't win at least one more, and that that was the expectation. Uh, what I mean, the expectation comes with a guy like that because he's just so valued, right? And also such an interesting person. It's You knew, like you said, the time was coming, probably sooner rather than later, I wouldn't doubt, and you know, none of this, at least to me, was like reported or mentioned. But I mean, I almost wouldn't doubt if, obviously, what's going on with this pandemic—that just the idea of the headache that next season might be—maybe accelerated his choice. I'm sure it did. Like I said, haven't seen anything out there that confirms that. But just the idea of having to go through that hassle when the time was already kind of running short there on the north side for for his tenure—I'm um, sure it only kind of accelerated the process. But Let's go down a more pleasant road and just a just an interesting person when you think Theo Epstein because it makes sense for him to get out of this now because he said this a few times that he kind of has like these little 10-year plans along the road. And he's that kind of guy who could go somewhere, give it his all for a decade. And it's not that he necessarily loses the gusto or loses the interest, but it's just ready for him to do something else exciting because he has that much talent and that much potential that he doesn't necessarily want to waste it spending 15 20 years with the cubs sorry and that's not a bad thing it's just that can the could have could could the epstein have stayed there and tried his hardest to do what needs to be done on the north side of chicago and kind of patch things up as the cubs go along with the tail end of their championship competing window sure he definitely could have and if he stood around, he probably could have done a great job at that. Who knows if the Cubs win one or more, if he would have stayed there. Now he's gone. Who knows if they win one without him now for the next few years. But the thing is, he's so talented and interesting that it makes so much sense for him to now move on. It's time for his next project. He's that damn good. It's time to go figure it out elsewhere. And kind of stinks. Sure, if you're a Cubs fan, that he only brought one in. But my you know, my goal now is as a Sox fan who's not, you know, connected, you know, emotionally as a fan to the, to the Cubs. Now, when I think about Theo Epstein, a talent that's out there, and there's obviously tons of things he could do. Me being selfish, I hope it's still baseball related, and there's a job hopefully coming up soon enough. Commissioner of baseball, I would think that maybe he suits right right well into there. He's a fan of the game. <laughs> we can confirm that, right? He sure as heck seems as as definitely more of a fan than, than the guy who holds the seat now. So, I mean, that would be really interesting there to see if maybe that's what's in line, you know, for his, his next stop. But who knows? I could definitely see it being baseball related. I could see it not being baseball related. Um, but it would be interesting to see what's next. And like I said, just from a fan of baseball standpoint, it'd be interesting to see 
if he comes back? And if so, at what role? Maybe it's with the team. Maybe it's just at the offices, and who knows? But obviously, whoever grant whoever whoever lands him, going to be a, a drastic improvement right away. It doesn't matter how much time he takes off. Right? Is the next team that the next team that lands him, or the next company that lands him, or you know whether he does something on on his own with a nonprofit? Or who knows? Obviously, going to be lucky to have his services. Absolutely, yeah, and and I would have just be over the moon if he was commissioner of baseball i mean that's just like a poster child of what you want of a guy that loves the sport loves the game but also is very aware and knows what's wrong with it and can admit that and wants to fix it and and if he was able to do that you know with two organizations that were so cursed if you will for that long and and then able to like analyze the game now like yeah it's really stat heavy and it's a lot of number crunching and that may be good for some of the game, but I also know it's made it horrible to watch. And, like, that's true. There are nuances now where if something's over-strategized statistically or just in terms of how they bring up players and how they're supposed to play the game, it's made it, you know, a little slower and a little more specialized. And that's real, but he gets it. He's not trying to run away from it. So I think that'd be really interesting if he was commissioner. But going back to, you know... Theo, as the president of this team, I I truly think, you know, this is probably like a mutual decision. That's really all I've kind of seen. It wasn't like they're firing him for cause. And I think it's just, it's interesting because as much as I know he's forward thinking, I think there's also a sense of grace and a sense of really a big awareness when you know it's your time to step away. I think that's something we always talked about with the Bulls of... John Paxson and Gar Foreman just didn't know when to, to step away, and it kept they kept retrying to do the same thing over and over, and the same thing over, until finally, in year 17, a light went off, and they said, you know what? It's time. I am not good enough anymore for this job. I may be good and suited in another realm, but this role is not for me. And I think if you're someone like Theo, you had a decade in Boston and a decade now in Chicago, you know, that's 20 years of, of, of baseball, and now you're entering that next era. And, and he said it right of, of who's ever in this role is now planning for the Cubs for the next five to ten years. Well, the game can be drastically distant, di- different. Our world, as we know, is drastically different. And he knows he doesn't want to be that guy right now to do that. He wants to do something else. And I, I, I commend him for knowing when it's time to, you know, to say goodbye. Yeah, no, well, so there goes Joey bringing it all full circle, coming back to Bulls basketball um, and just making a note of, yeah, sometimes it's good when to when to know to step away. Uh, well, I mean, I think now is definitely still a time to now, while we're behind the microphone, think about the Cubs moving forward. Because, I mean, you can talk about, you know, Theo Epstein's achievements all day, but now what does this mean for the Cubs, right? Now that he's officially, you know, parted from the team, Jed Hoyer getting the promotion, still, you know, have to have to bring in the, the next uh, round of guys that he wants to bring in to help salvage whatever's left in the north side in their championship window. I guess for you, Joey, interesting, I want to ask you, as the, as the Cubs fan on the show, how confident – I guess, do you feel now with the Cubs and the moves they'll make? Like I said, there's, there's still plenty of roles that can obviously be filled by Jed Hoyer now to help, you know, help him kind of tool this tool this team back to a, a realistic championship contender. But now when you see, a, you know, a man of Theo's talents leave, you, you until they bring in, you know, whoever else it is they bring in now to help write this ship, you have to kind of lose a little bit of confidence, don't you? 
I actually don't. I think I think Jed's been been groomed for this his entire career as kind of being attached to Theo, and now yeah. Jason McCloud left. The next logical choice was Jed Hoyer to do this, and I think they share a philosophy, and I think I think they'll be fine. It just, it just depends what the owner wants to do, right? If they don't, if they get jerried, all right, we'll <laughs> we'll see what happens because it's 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 a big question of. I think they could probably retool. They don't have to do a full rebuild. They can retool with the pieces they have. There's some big decisions on, on on a lot of their, you know, whether it's Baez and Rizzo and Contreras. Well, the phone the phone's ringing and it's the Nationals and apparently right. they want Brian. Right. So, but that's the question: is can you retool and sign these guys and in a in a market that's probably going to be down and keep a lot of your pieces to rebuild rebuild? Ew, gross. Retool or. Is, is Tom Ricketts going to come down? And no one said this. I'm just, but I, but I'm like, he's been very outspoken about how much revenue has been lost this year. And even if he's a billionaire, the business side of it to him is still seemingly showing we're at a loss. So is this going to be one of those years where he's instructing Jed to to not invest, and you're going to have to almost restart everything because you don't want to spend it? I don't know. We have never seen that in the last, you know. Six or seven years here, when this when this group's really been all in sync. So, I think it depends what the message from the owner. If the owner's not willing to spend money, then it's a whole different ball game. If everything's kind of status quo, I think you treat it as if Theo's there because I think I think Jed would have the same the same philosophy on how to want to do it, how he'd want to you know fix this team. And I think about that moving forward, and I, I ask myself this question all the time when thinking about the show is how much one has to be fixed and how much, I mean, there's a lot of things that depend on it, can be fixed within just one offseason, right? I mean, obviously there's a lot of questions to ask on how the finances are going to be divvied up this year, how much flexibility there is there to either spend, trade away, do what you have to do. Um, but, yeah, it's it's – I guess if just being fair – and like you said, trying to look at it as as normal as an offseason as possible. How much can you even really get done, and what needs to be done? I we like you said, it's so hard asking that question. And I wonder if if part of it, and this kind of came up with our discussion um, with Joey when we did that kind of Chicago collaboration show, was is part of not wanting to think in certain ways of maybe this guy goes, maybe that guy goes more of like an emotional attachment thing as a fan potentially. Cause I feel there's a little bit of that to it is for example, you're one who doesn't want to give up on Chris Bryant one, because I mean, there's, there's quantitative reasons why, because I'll oh, just look at his numbers from MVP seasons. You're not right. You're not willing to write that necessarily off and think that he's going into this kind of downward slope direction and that that's going to continue. But is there also some kind of like connection there to that 2016 world series team and him being, he was supposed to be the legend for years and years to come, almost when you go back to those Blackhawks dynasties. And, well, you got to keep the Tanes and the Canes for as long as you can just because you have to. And there's that emotional tie and everything else to it. And I don't know. There's gonna. I don't think the front office is nearly as emotionally tied to it necessarily as a fan should be. You know, there should be some kind of multiple degrees of separation there. But it's just something to think about when you're trying to figure out what the hell does this team do and what the hell makes the most sense and – if you choose, you know, the Baez or the Brian to ship away to get something back, there's also that idea there that that could be 
really hurts you in the long run because it could be no this is the this is the this is the trade or whatever it is that we have the move that we have to make that's going to right the ship or it could be the one where you definitely try you go all in on you think it's the right choice shipping that superstar out of town whether it be a Baez or brian and it's the one that completely comes back and derails the whole situation but there also is that point there where well you have to do something i mean you can't just say stagnant and I think that if one of those, maybe it's this offseason, one of those huge blockbuster moves are made, whether it be a Baez, whether it be a Brian, there's still some logical way of backing it up where, well, we have to do something, right? Because what we have now obviously isn't working as much as we want it to. Where we want to be is just not in the playoffs and in playoff contention. We want to be competing for that World Series trophy. And within recent seasons, we're not showing we have the talent to get there. A drastic move has to be made. So you always have that in your back pocket to use for logical reasons. So interesting to see. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, I I don't know. If you sit here and you go, okay, I know for the next three years, I'm going to be competitive. I'm going to be, you know, NLDS, maybe NLCS, but I'm not going to be good enough to get to World Series because it is going to take us that long to retool to get there. Then, you know, I guess that's acceptable. But you're right. But there's also if... If you know that this whole window is kind of shot, you have good pieces, but you know that a Chris Bryant can net you a key starting pitcher or two that you've been missing for three years, or can redo the acquisition of a Gleyber Torres type player or an Aloy Jimenez type player that if you had right now, this would be a completely different conversation, right? I mean, it'd be completely different because you'd have a stud infielder and a stud outfielder and you wouldn't have to worry about okay if you have questions about chris bryant there's a guy behind him that is going to be a perennial all-star so i you know these are weird questions like are you okay if you say you know what chris bryant as good as he was i'm going to let him walk and we're comfortable with david Bodie as our starting third baseman i don't know Oh, that Grand Slam doesn't mean anything to you anymore? Oh, it still does. Oh. <laughs> and that goes back to your other point. Of I, There is a part of it I know is sentimental. It has to be, right, for all of us. Right. that you, 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 you watch this guy carry a team to a World Series like Chris Bryant. Like it, it is true. And I know you have to be a little more objective when you're trying to make those decisions. But, you know, it's hard. And I think that's what comes to the, the crux of it. It's just it's, I have to be told as a fan kind of what the plan for this team is. Kind of like the Blackhawks did. Like for the first time ever, they're kind of like, yeah, we're kind of not going to be good, and we're kind of rebuilding, as as bad as that press conference Stan Bowman round Robin was. And it was like, okay, I understand now what you're going to do. I'm not happy about it, but I know that maybe the reward will be there. Who knows? Yeah. So better or worse, the Cubs this season? <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go super early with the question. Jesus. I'm going to go with better. It's hard to kind of compare it. Well, I guess you still could because it's just such a short season right. this year that – you know, it, you, wind, wind differential obviously way up, but I guess just, you know, looking at it from the perspective going in and, you know, calculating for that, I, maybe better. I mean, obviously there's so many factors to that, injuries and everything else that plays into it, but, you know, barring stuff like that and just on paper, maybe better. Who knows? It's just, it's such a weird time there on the north side because I always like to go back to, while it seems like the tail end of it, you're still in the glory days and golden age of Cubs, Cubs baseball. This is the golden age. This is, this is the best the best run of Cubs baseball you had. And even though you're at toward the tail end of it, it would seem it's just I don't know, just 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 weird to think about. And maybe they get better, maybe. But 
the Dodgers finally won one, so maybe they lose a little bit of steam, right? Finally. Yeah, Nobody was finally. banging on garbage cans this year that we heard about. <laughs> At least that know. we know of. What there, if they, there's a whole... What if they had secret earpieces with garbage cans playing in them to know? That was like their thing. Or, or what was it? The, with, with the Altuve? Oh, the buzzer, on. yeah. The, the buzzer, yeah. Don't oh, rip my shirt off. I, have a, I don't have a buzzer on. I don't like to rip my clothes. I, my wife would get angry if she saw my chest on TV. Okay, got it. Thank you. Well, hey, if, if Theo becomes commissioner one day, he'll definitely make sure to, to, to have that no-no. He'll, he'll make sure that nobody's banging on trash cans or having the buzzers oh, yeah. or anything. First order of business, strip Astros of all <laughs> all World Series. Effective immediately. Yeah. That'd be who amazing. Knows, who, who knows what he, what he has in store for him, but like I said, it's uh, definitely a man of many talents. That's for sure. That's true. He can take it so, so many different directions. And now, finally, uh, a little bit of time to relax. He's been in baseball for quite yeah. some time. Been a very, very busy man building teams from the ground up or, you know, getting them to, you know, those final World Series championships after not seeing them for decades or a century. Um, so I think he's earned himself a little bit of time off, you would say. I think so. I think we all need a little vacation. <laughs> We're getting there cabin we fever. <laughs> Why not? And, uh, instead of these stay home, these staycations. Yeah. Pour a little sand in the living room. No, that would get really messy. We could try <laughs> it. Put a little beach chair, a little drink with, a, with, with an umbrella in it. You're good. I mean, if you're still quarantining and, you know, you're staying as far away from people as possible, you have time to clean it up. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. There you go. And you know what the best part about the Sunday is today? No bears talk. Well, yeah. Well, that's going to be the worst part about our next show is that there's going to be Bears talk. <laughs> Don't remind me. And I'm watching all these games today, and I'm watching Taysom Hill and the New Orleans Saints be able to not only pull out a win against the Falcons, who suck, and they're the Falcons, but still, I'm able to see Taysom Hill play very good quarterback, or good enough quarterback with what he is. I mean, considering what the best you could get out of him, the New Orleans Saints seem to get the best out of him, even for not just Gidget Gadget plays, but for a full game under center and I get it. They're a better team overall, better coached, but come on. Even I'm sick and tired of just seeing any random quarterback being plugged into any random team, you name it, and being able to perform better than what the Chicago Bears do. But except for maybe whatever the, it is the Jets and Adam Gase are doing. But that's the only other team where if you look at everywhere else, whatever quarterback they're plugging in, it seems that they're able to somewhat make it work and somewhat look like NFL style modern day stuff. Bears can't do it. Well, of course, of course they can. We're cursed. It's very simple. Anything in orange and blue is cursed, whether it's Illinois football or Bears football. Thank God we've Illinois basketball this week to kindly make us happy. Maybe we'll just talk about that solely instead of any kind of Bears talk. And Northwestern's technically Chicago, and they're kind of somehow five and zero. Oh. There's their Chicago, their Chicago's Big Ten team. I, hey, if if you want to pitch that early for for what could be a, a, our middle of the week show, I'm all for it because we'll see. I have to actually check up and see what's going on in this in this Packers game. But first place in the division, not looking too hot. Yeah, so, probably not. You get to play them next week under the lights if they don't get flexed out of it. <laughs> that that's where I'm coming at. Oh, you get to play them next week regardless. Uh, you know whether they get flexed out or not, and. And, you know, barring any COVID craziness to where they'd have to reschedule, that's that's who your next opponent is. And, you know, what we're, it looks like it here uh, as we as we discuss it, Joey, still 7-7 against Indianapolis. But it doesn't matter. No matter how that game winds up, still 
catching them? Hell no. They'll be lucky to win another couple games, but we could talk about that down the road in the middle of the week, can't we? Yes, that was too much Bears talk already. Let's get rid of that there immediately. I may Jamming, delete it out of the podcast. Edit it out of the podcast. There you go. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for us today on Believe in Chicago Sports. Our thanks again to KC Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. Awesome interview with him, getting more insight on Bulls basketball, which, if you can believe it, is you know less than a few weeks away now. Uh, it's kind of wild that a training camp begin December 1st. Um, and then, yeah, of course, Dan and I are always here for you, talking Chicago sports, fun conversation about Theo and the Cubs. And we will talk to you again on Thursday. We'll uh, preview the Bears-Packers matchup. And whatever else happens in Chicago sports, you know, we'll be there to uh, break it all down with you and for you. I'm on Twitter at Joey Gelman. He's on Twitter at TweetDanCollins. The show Believe in Chicago on Twitter, part of the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Have a great rest of your Monday and an awesome start to your week, and we'll catch you on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.